You're listening to Popcorn Ronin with Roger and Vince. Every two weeks, they give their thoughts on movies, TV, and anime. You watch this like last week, was it? Or a few weeks ago, whenever I think I watched it the morning before we did the Spider Man episode. So, was this actually on your radar though? Hadn't even heard of it. Oh, really? Okay. I mean, that's the thing with so many like these Netflix released movies is there's so many of them at this point, very few of them get a lot of, uh, a lot of push behind them and a lot of uh, visibility. Like we're going to talk about another movie next week. That's very much the same thing. A lot of people didn't even know about it until somebody else told them. So that's the same thing we got here. My hand is actually up. Yes, I understand. Nobody can see me, but it is (laughs) because I had not seen anything about it. Like the, the, the way that Netflix's um, UI is configured. I've never been a huge fan of it, but it's really easy to miss out on a lot of stuff. And then, of course, there's also the bullshit with the um, who can see what based on what region they are in and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Like the Canadian Netflix has significantly less uh, shows than the US one has. And then if you try to do the VPN trick, well, that does not always work and they shut that shit down real fast. So it's it, it's frustrating as all hell. So, anyways, for for folks who are just tuning in, we are talking about the movie See You Yesterday. So, this was produced by Spike Lee, but it was actually a film by Stefan Bristol. It was based off of a short film that he did before that, and then it was turned into this feature-length film. The thing about the show that's that's fantastic is that it takes a tired trope and because of the fact that it is a pri- primarily black cast and and creators and deals with the issues that people of color have to put up with right now primarily in in the US but of course everywhere it really kind of puts an interesting spin on the trope and that's something we've said a lot in all of our different podcasts. We, we understand that tropes have to exist to a certain degree, but it's what you kind of do with them. And what I found here, and I'm hoping you feel the same, of course, it's fine if you didn't, um, I found that more so than, and seriously, I've been racking my brain trying to think of a film or TV show that dealt with time travel, that I felt hit me the hardest is the wrong term, but you know what I mean? It just felt so much more real. It it actually did something with the premise. Well, yeah, and it just, because of the fact that it deals with police brutality and, and, and this horrific thing that happens to this young girl, then it, it kind of put it in a situation wherein it wasn't just, you know, Marty's mother wants to bone him. It was, no, this is... 
somebody who wants to save their sibling's life because of real ass shit that's happening right now every fucking day right in your backyard. So I found that because of that, the trope was so goddamn effective and there was so much more tension in there for me. Yeah, it's definitely a movie that off the bat, so you have to have some of that suspension of disbelief, but I feel if you're going in knowing that you're watching a movie about time travel, you're already preloaded on a lot of that. So yeah, if you can accept the fact that a high school student invents backpacks, lets her travel through time, and you can just accept the movie for what it is and enjoy the story and become acquainted with the characters, it it delivers a very powerful message. It, it See, for me, it went beyond a powerful message because, again, I, I, that's obviously part of what I was saying as well. And it is... I don't think it's a message so much as shining uh, showing a mirror on what is actually going on right now kind of thing. For me, it was it was that action, that the fact that it was using a mirror to show you exactly what it's happening, with the exception of the the trope itself and this mm. being the time travel. And so because of that, even though that's not my reality, clearly that's not your reality either. Of course, it's closer for you than it is for me, but it is a reality that is very close to and that we can appreciate and understand within reason. And it's, I, I'm very curious how it was received by other people for whom it would be much more real. Mm-hmm. And you see, it's interesting. Like, I'm glad you touched on just how realistic so much of it is because I have to give a, a great amount of credit to the cast and crew that this this felt so real. And, and not just in so far as like, okay, they made a goofy sci-fi story, but they grounded it in reality. But this movie had such a strong sense of uh, verisimilitude where it wasn't just a bunch of actors pretending to be in an urban situation. It, maybe they were. I don't know the backgrounds of many of the actors. So maybe they they all grew up in nicer neighborhoods than what's portrayed in the film. But so much of... The, the family life and the community life just felt so realistic. Like I didn't obviously grow up in an inner city or whatnot, but I spent a good part of my adult life in uh, South Florida growing up in a premier or not growing up, but uh, my young adult life, I was in a primarily uh, Jamaican neighborhood. And as we see, a lot of the characters in this film come from Jamaican descent. So a lot of the little sayings and the mannerisms and like the way they act towards each other it immediately watching this film took me back 10 years to when I was in a very similar cultural neighborhood and it just felt so real. And I, I would imagine for other people who have uh, similar histories, like it, it evokes those same emotions. Like when I was at the ants is yelling at, uh, CJ's brother and calls him a boombla clot. And I was just like, oh my God, like <laughs> that's a word <laughs> that was thrown around the McDonald's kitchen that I worked in for, <laughs> for years on end. So, and, and if you don't know, essentially calling him an ass wipe. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, it's the, those little things that made it so much more real. And at least for me, I was able to latch on even more to the characters because I was able to relate them to people I knew in my actual life. Yeah, well, Jesus, if Claudette isn't a little alley in the making, I, 
<laughs> somebody, somebody who's very headstrong and is going to do what she wants. I, I loved it. I thought the woman who acted in the role, uh, what is her name, Eden Dun- Duncan Smith, was really fantastic. She was a a tough character and yet was not just a two-dimensional character. She had a lot of depth, and you could see what was going on. Like, all of the um, the pushback from her friends sometimes, early on, Sebastian, early on as well as especially later on, as well as any kind of pushback that she got, it was like, no, she understands what she she's doing, and she understands... She un- well, she thought she understood, I should say. Mm-hmm. And and she was strong and she was not afraid of of plowing through and yet was also able to show a lot of vulnerability and a lot of of an emotional side later on as well when shit is going bad. Not just with her brother, but when one of the jumps doesn't wind up working out and Sebastian gets killed, that was that was a brilliant scene like that was you you knew it was coming because again they're going to play on a lot of different tropes here and it was just kind of clear okay i see what you're going to do here but it was so well acted and especially again by dante uh what is it cricklow uh who did sebastian who who acted as sebastian he's in that scene twice because the original him in the timeline as well as the other one if i'm remembering correctly there yeah Mm -hmm. and so like he was kind of (laughs) The effects with like the the split timelines so much better than they were in you know for example uh, Infinity uh, War Back to the Future <laughs> yeah <laughs> it, it it was it, it they handled it in a way that like again you expect it if you're doing a, a film like this but it never came off as like awkward it was just oh shit like yeah that's right that's a thing that we do. <laughs> Well, what I like, too, is by doing it this way, which to explain to folks if you haven't seen it, they're very limited in how far back they can go. So if they're going back, uh, because it, it uses up a lot of power, and 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 the, situ- the, the, the backpacks are functional at best. <laughs> like there's, <laughs> there's a bunch of problems that occur with those backpacks. But... Um, but in terms of power, they can only go back so far. So what this winds up creating is this fantastic pace for the show because she can't waste time. Once her brother gets killed, she understands that if she waits too long, she's not going to be able to jump back far enough to be able to save him. So every time she gets shot back because yet another um hurdle for her is that not only is she limited in how far back she can go but also once she's there how long she can stay there before getting pulled back and if memory serves it was like 10 minutes wasn't it or something i like believe that? so yeah so then you've got a situation where the pace doesn't slow down and i thought that was brilliant because in a lot of other time travel shows no they can lollygag as much as they fucking want while they're there and it doesn't matter and they'll just go back when they're ready and that's not what this was at all it was a race and you see this frantic behavior of hers kind of climbing because of this and then on top of that when you get to that stage you're not always making the best decisions so while sebastian's trying to ground her kind of thing and it ain't working out 
it makes sense. It always makes sense. The only thing that does not make sense is the actual time travel. But everything else does and, and really holds up. Yeah, I mean, on one hand, it's a limitation on the, the fictional technology that's based on the needs of the story. But so what? Like, if that's the, the rules that the writers have set out for this universe ahead of time, who are we to argue that, oh, it doesn't make sense that they can only travel back a certain amount of time and, you know, this and that? It was like, okay, this, this, they very early on set the ground rules. I mean, they later tweaked the ground rules, but that wasn't a retcon or anything. It was them, you know, being creative and coming exactly. up with solutions yeah. to yeah. their problems, which, like, okay, that expanded upon like the 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 potential for the storyline but it was still that same limitation like they they did such a good job like explaining the fake science behind yeah. the the story conventions that you have no choice but to go okay this is what we're dealing with and again you just you're following the characters you're not following the technology what i liked about this and and it kind of goes in line with I've kind of changed my mind a little bit in regards to some of those things as well when a story is constructed like that. Um, I don't know if you've watched any of the Masterclass um, things on, on YouTube, but you know what I'm talking about, right? I've not heard of them. Oh, okay. You, tell, you say Masterclass, I think of the British Baking Show. No. There's um, <laughs> sorry. If, if you're using an ad blocker in YouTube, you wouldn't know about this. I didn't until well, I started using a different browser. But anyways, um, basically it's through Amazon or through um, YouTube. You can sign up and get these courses from professionals in different fields. I mean, Steve Martin teaches comedy. Um, there's a bunch of different writers that teach courses on writing and pen and teller on magic, all kinds of different things. It's very, very, very cool, actually, if you land on a good one. And... We've been watching a lot of the ones that are writers, like Margaret Atwood and James Patterson and Dan Brown. And one of the things that Dan Brown has said repeatedly during his thing was how um, you have to know the path that you want your, your character to take or, you know, the, what would be the easiest path for your character to take and then put roadblocks across them, big ones at different points, because otherwise it's not interesting. So you have to, as the writer, put the stuff in to make their life miserable or harder or whatever. So like you're saying here, the writers decided to impose those. And yeah, because otherwise it would be way too simple for them to go too far back and have a lot of time to play with to try to save her brother's life. But because of the limitations there, which made sense in terms of the story, I thought. Because again, it's, it's enough for you to kind of accept this premise that the fact that, yeah, they're geniuses, but not so much at making a good power source or, you know, they don't have access to what they would need to make an effective power source, then it makes sense kind of thing. And it's a hurdle that was, in my opinion, really well written, really, really well written. And I adored it because, again, I think about all of the scenes when she's going back and they're running. Like, you know, the first one, they kind of took their time a little bit more. But then the other ones, they understand we got 10 minutes and not just that, we got to get clear across town or across, you know, the block or whatever to be able to get to the brother in time and, and try to stop what's going to happen as well and not just fuck everything up 
for other people along the way either because that kind of happens too. So every time that she, they, they poof, they're in, and then they're taken off running, which is, again, nicely done in terms of how the ending came about too. I really dug that because it was that same frantic pace throughout that that kept you engaged in what could otherwise have been still a, not a sleeper hit, but, you know, something that was not quite as much of a, a summer blockbuster kind of show to watch. Mm-hmm. Are you ready to get into the ending? Because I have some things to say about the ending. Go for it. All right. So the the thing that this film has been most criticized for is its lack of an ending. Uh, essentially, problems remain unsolved, and CJ's at the end of the film, she's just traveling back again to keep trying, keep trying to fix the mistakes that she made. And a lot of people said it was pretty, pretty lame. And honestly, at first I was like, oh, that's it. Like I was a little disappointed as well until I took some time to think on it. And that's where I said like this, this film does deliver a powerful message, at least for me, because Sebastian finally realizes that them traveling back, them making these changes, things like this are still just going to keep happening. There's nothing they can do to fix it. Because at the end of the day, while this movie is about CJ trying to save the life of her brother, it's also about so much more. It's about the circumstances that led to her brother being shot by police officers, that led to violence in the bodega that got Sebastian killed in one of the other flashbacks. Like there's so much at work in this film beyond the little time travel mishaps and changes that CJ's never going to be able to fix. She can jump back a thousand times and maybe, maybe she will find that one simple change that will get her the happy ending she's looking for. But it's unlikely because in real life, there are no simple fixes to the to these problems. And I, I felt that leaving that unresolved in retrospect was so much more powerful of a message than everybody getting their happy ending could have been. Yeah. Well not just that, and and I agree with you. The first the first time I saw it, it's not that I was bothered by the ending, but that it surprised me. Because Mm -hmm. you do not see a lot of films that do that kind of thing. So for me, it was kind of like, oh. And then you, again, like you said, you think about it. The thing that that I loved about it is how, again, like you were saying too, it, it forces you to think. It forces you to kind of rationalize, okay, what's what's trying to be said here by this? Because even if even if there were budgetary restraints that kind of force this kind of thing or any kind of quote-unquote problem, the creators are still trying to say something, you know, even if it came at the last minute or whatever. And it's kind of like what you said where there's, there is no happy ending. But more so than that, what for me it, it did was kind of provide the grounds for a conversation about when nothing is going right anyway, do you keep trying to fix it? So for her, time and time again, things are not going well. And then stack on top of that the endless police brutality and the odds of such things occurring multiple times and having the power at your disposal 
to attempt to fix it. Not not necessarily to fix it, but to attempt to at least fix it. And and then kind of think of it from your perspective. If it's your wife, it's your husband, if it's your child, your whatever, would you use this device regardless of the consequences that it has? Mm-hmm. And for most of us, the answer is going to be, of course. So it's not that she didn't learn her lesson for me so much as she's a fighter and she's going to keep trying to make it right. And yeah, to a certain degree, that's bashing your head against the wall. And yeah, certainly she doesn't have it all figured. She is making mistakes. We all would. This is uncharted territory. But it it really made me reevaluate everything. And it, I don't, fuck, I don't want to say it helped but it helped me kind of grasp that and to feel the urgency and things like that when quite literally the day before news of cop shooting the day after or the day that i watched it there was police brutality news coming out again and there was probably the day after that too because there's been even more coming out lately at a pace that is revolting so every time that like like we're seeing that we're more and more on edge about it. So then when you're seeing it in the film, it it's, it's fucking real. And I feel for her and I feel for the situation. And like when you're seeing the scenes with the, Oh, the woman who played her mother, I need to find her name. Marsha Stephanie Blake. I think that's her. Oh, Correct. Jesus. She was good. Oh, my Mm -hmm. God. When you are seeing the scenes where she is on the couch and uh, CJ shows up and and they chat a little bit, when you're seeing for other things in the neighborhood and the funeral and different things, um, like, it's heart-wrenching how normal some of this is in these actors, these people's lives, you know, and you're like, it shouldn't be. This is not normal. This should not fucking be happening. But it's it it happens so fucking much that it's a reality of where they live and 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 other situations. So then, when you're seeing that in the in the film again, when it's being presented in such a way that she has this device that might be able to solve this problem. Might not solve them all, but might be able to bring her brother back. And if I, if she can also try to keep Sebastian from dying, I think she'd be happy there kind of thing. So, so yeah, the ending worked for me. It, it, it worked immediately, but it just got better the more I thought about it for me. Mm-hmm. It, it, to, to bring things around to a slightly lighter note, uh, what actually kind of set me like to thinking about like the, the, the resolution there was think back to the, the first scene them film when they were doing their their test run on the backpacks that obviously didn't work. And a very small amount of, I'm hoping, intentional foreshadowing is that front and center on CJ's overall, she's wearing a flash pin. I think I noticed that. Mm-hmm. Oh. And that was the first time I was like, oh, okay, it's a flash pin, whatever. But once we got to the end, and again, thinking about it, I was like, well what are like what's like the most iconic flash storylines and him trying to travel back in time to save his mother's life yeah <laughs> and he never gets that right either yeah yeah if anything he only makes things worse by trying there's no if and i'm anything, not saying that 
that CJ is actively making things worse. But it it, it Sebastian sets would a beg tone. to differ. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it that that's I, I'm I'm really hoping it was intentional. I'm not just uh, projecting it, something. It, there, had to, yeah. it it if it was so visible and obvious, I had to believe it was. And that's just one of those very small, subtle things that I really appreciate. It had to have been because again, one of the things that I was reading too. It, and again, attention to fucking detail in the classroom scene that you see where Michael J. Fox is there, which we'll get to in a moment. He's reading um, Kindred. What is it called? Um, is it called Kindred? Oh, I... Yeah. Kindred by Octavia Butler, which is about a time traveling black woman who has to deal with oppression in the past. Um uh, CJ is reading Stephen Hawking's A Brief History of Time, and the friends to the side are reading a comic book called Black. Like, there's a lot of attention to detail with the quote-unquote props, with setting a scene where if you take the time to look at what is happening here, you're going to see a lot more than what is being said. And and I really love that. It, it That more so than anything kind of set it for me moving forward where I was paying attention. I wanted to see, okay, if I can spot anything or, or whatever and i'm certain that i missed a lot that other people would would be able to grasp case in point like you said with the jamaican slangs being thrown around kind of thing so i would i would bet you that that was there on purpose mm-hmm. it, we see this so much in modern films where it's it's kind of become the the fun thing to do is put these little easter eggs in the backgrounds to make the fans happy and so the website publishers have something to run endless articles about of what you missed in the movie but Every once in a while, a film like this comes along where those little background details actually enhance the finished product because yeah. it gets you thinking about all these different things and they set tone and give you an idea of what it's supposed to be about instead of just being a fun joke like having Marty McFly in the in the movie. Which was still freaking awesome. Yes. I, I, I am all right with Michael J. Fox being a cameo in everything. <laughs> <laughs> like it's that fucking simple, but this I thought was fun. I I thought it was a it was a good role for him actually. It, you know he's not going to be on there long, and he's he can deliver the lines no problem and be likable in quite literally a couple of minutes of screen time. So I was really really happy to see him play that, and it was a nice. I thought it was a nice nod of especially because they stole something he knows they stole it and he's just asking can you just bring it back or make sure it doesn't get damaged kind of thing it's the passing of the torch to a younger generation a different generation of of not just in this terms in terms of the movie time travelers but in terms of creators you know a new batch of actors creators directors have fun with this and and let's see what you can do with it yeah absolutely i I don't really have anything to add to that you said it perfectly (laughs) All right, any parting thoughts before we go then? Obviously, check this film out, but from what we're realizing, dig a little deeper in that Netflix queue sometimes. See what else that they've been bringing up, because, yes, Stranger Things is going to be plastered all over it for the next month, but they're also licensing a lot of smaller projects that are we're finding out very well worth your time, but not getting the marketing budget that a lot of the bigger things are. And if you don't go looking for them or if nobody tells you about them, you can miss some absolutely fantastic stories like this one. 
And the only other thing that I will say in closing is if you watched this and you enjoyed it, make sure to hit that little like thing in there because mm-hmm. they check those statistics. And if not enough people are liking the stuff that's coming out that we've been clamoring for, that that is from uh, uh, different creators than just all white guys, like, you know, vote that shit up so that we can have a lot more of this in our cues to watch. So with that, we are going to wrap it up. Thank you very much for joining us. You can find the show notes at popcornronin.com and we will see you guys next week for another episode. Mm-hmm.